Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. We're continuing our series on historic church liturgy. Last time we emphasized the value of music and singing, and today is a reflection on the public reading of Scripture. We're learning today that Scripture reading in a worship service is quite the gift to God's people, and one of the primary ways God speaks and the way in which the Holy Spirit sanctifies His church. Let's listen now to this message called The Gift of the Written Word, Part 1. Here's John. And so this brings us to the ninth element in the liturgy, which is the public reading of Scripture. Now, we looked at music last week, and we all said we can agree that we love music, right? And wow, the music was great. The music was fantastic this morning. Thank you, guys. It's beautiful. But we said that worship involves much more than just music. We don't want to reduce worship to come to the worship night, which means come sing songs for an hour and a half, right? That singing music is a beautiful thing, but music involves, worship involves much, much more than music. And the ninth element that we're looking at here is the public reading of Scripture. And so what I'm going to do with you this morning is uh, give to you three points about the public reading of Scripture, because the public reading of Scripture falls under the first part of the liturgy, which is the service of the Word. And and these three points about the public reading of Scripture will highlight the vital role that the reading of Scriptures plays in the church's worship. So hopefully when I'm done this morning, um, from here on out, when you leave Paramount Church from this Sunday forward, you can always all go saying, wow, you know, the public reading of Scripture today, it was just off the charts, right? It was as good as the music. Um, So here's the first point. The public reading of Scripture is a gift to God's people. That's the first point. The public reading of Scripture is a gift to God's people. Most of us in this room have several Bibles at home and different English translations, right? Many of us now in this room sitting here today have access to every English translation or paraphrase there's ever been. Plus, you also have access to the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic texts, right? And hopefully the people who wrote the software got the grammar correct in your software. Sometimes they make mistakes too, but but you do have access. The point is, is all of us have access through computers, smartphones, iPads, uh, Bibles with the pages written. We have immediate access to a plethora of, of scripture. And this immediate access to scripture is unique in the history of Christianity. You realize that many, many, many Christians for over thousands of years, well, a thousand years, more than a thousand years, didn't even have scripture. So there was no sanctification barometer for reading and memorizing scripture because they didn't have any. So in previous centuries, the reading of God's word in the public assembly of God's people was a precious gift and a privilege to hear this word. So God's word is the gift giver's gift to his gathered guests, right? Nobody would know the truth about God or be able to relate to God in a personal saving way if God had not first acted to make himself known. Do you realize that? 
But as we say at the end of every reading, thanks be to God because God has acted. God is not silent. God has spoken to us. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has revealed himself and made himself known to us in the 66 books of the Bible. Theologians use this term. They use the term divine accommodation to express how God speaks to us from his scripture. John Calvin wrote about this divine accommodation in his institutes, and really what he says in it is that God, through the scriptures, that the Bible is God's baby talk to us. He says that God accommodates himself to us and that he talks to us in scripture the way a nurse would speak to an infant. He says, quote, God is one in a measure to lisp in speaking to us. Calvin says that God accommodates the knowledge of himself to our slight capacity. To do this, he must descend far beneath his loftiness. Scripture is God's baby talk to us. It is God's condescension far from his loftiness to speak to us in our language. And so the scriptures are God's self-disclosure to man. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul describes the entire Old Testament as this. He says, as entirely God-breathed. That is the product of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so Paul says the entire Old Testament scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, is the Holy Spirit breathed out word to man, to us, God revealing himself to us. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul quotes Luke chapter 10, verse 7. And he calls Luke's gospel scripture, putting the gospels on par with the Old Testament scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, Peter refers to the apostle Paul's writings as scripture. And he's showing that the New Testament is on the same level of divine authority and inspiration as the Old Testament. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so what Scripture says, God says. Christians should be grateful to God for the gift of his written word and not take it for granted. As I said, we have unlimited access to it. And it has not been like that throughout the history of the church. We should be conscientious in basing our faith and life entirely and exclusively upon it. Because if God had not spoken to us and given us his word, we could have never had a saving relationship with him, nor would we know as believers how to honor and please him as he calls us to do. So that's the first point. Uh, the public reading of scripture, God's word and worship is a gift. It's a gift to us. Here's the second. The public reading of scripture, it is an essential element of corporate worship. It's not an option. 
The Bible is primarily intended to function in the liturgy, the corporate worship of the church, as a text that is to be read aloud. The reading of God's word to God's people has been an integral part of the worship of God's people ever since the Old Testament. I want to show you a couple of examples of it this morning. So if you have your Bibles, look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 10 through 13. We find that the regular reading of the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Covenant, was an essential aspect of the renewal of the covenant amongst God's people. And so God instructs that at the end of every seven years at the Feast of Booths, all Israel, when they came to appear before the Lord as one congregation gathered before the Lord in assembly before the Lord, the Lord instructs the Levitical priest to read the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic law to the people. And they were all to stand and hear, listen to God's law being read to them, the covenant of Moses read to them. Now, I'll skip forward to Nehemiah chapter 8. And we'll just summarize a little bit of Nehemiah 8 and look at just one verse, verse 6 in particular. In Nehemiah chapter 8, what we read about is a solemn reading of Scripture that tells us much about the origins of the liturgical scripture reading in both the synagogue and later in the church. So here are the origins of where public reading of scripture came from in both the synagogue and in the church, the worship of God's people. Let me give you some background. In the book of Nehemiah, um, Israel had been in exile in Babylon for 70 years under the curse of the Mosaic Covenant because they had broken the covenant. And this is exactly what God said would happen to the people, and it's exactly what happened. So they went into Babylonian exile for 70 years. They have just come out of Babylonian exile, severely chastened by the Lord for their disobedience. And so when God's people returned to God's land, they turned to an intense study of the Mosaic Covenant. They're like, we broke it, so we better get serious about it because we don't want to go through that again, Right? And so they begin to have this intense study, and upon returning, Ezra the scribe calls the people together for a solemn assembly. And so the congregation of Israel assembles together, and Ezra the scribe has the Mosaic Covenant read to the people, just like in Deuteronomy 31. And Nehemiah says that a special wooden platform was built to emphasize the seriousness of the reading. So, as Ezra was reading, he was standing behind this big wooden platform to emphasize the seriousness of what was being read and so that the people could see him and then hear what was being read. And so, Ezra opened the book, it says in verse 5, in the sight of all the people, and when he did it, the whole congregation of Israel stood in reverence for the one who was about to speak to them, which was not Ezra, but God. And so it's significant in verse 6 that a prayer was made before the reading of the law, clearly showing that the reading of Scripture was considered an act of worship. Look at verse 6. 
It says, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so the whole book of the law, the entire book of the law was read during the seven-day feast. And so what we know from this is that, listen, large portions of Scripture reading characterized their worship. Large portions. And so the reading of God's Word became a primary element in the exile's worship. And then later in the history of Israel, that led to the synagogue. Later in Israel's history, we find that the reading, also the preaching, we're going to look at preaching later, but we're talking about reading. So the reading of God's word of scripture was a regular practice in synagogue worship. This practice of reading, as I said, developed during the Jewish exile in Babylon because they didn't have the temple. So they would get together to hear portions of God's word read from the scrolls. And so Jews in the first century of Jesus' time would gather weekly on the Sabbath to hear readings from both the law and they would recite the Shema, which was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so scholars tell us that when they gathered together in the synagogue, their worship services involved this. This is kind of what it looked like. It involved singing, set prayer readings, the reading of Scripture, an interpretive homily on the scripture reading for that week, which is a sermon based on what they had just read that day. And then it concluded with a priestly blessing, a benediction. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's close to what we have here. And so in Luke chapter 4, turn to Luke chapter 4. The reason this is significant is because this is how Jesus worshiped. Jesus followed this pattern. He followed this liturgy. In Luke chapter 4, let's begin reading at verse 16. Luke says in Luke 4 that it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And so when Jesus arrived at the synagogue on the Sabbath, look at Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 16. When Jesus arrived at the synagogue, Luke 4, verse 16, Jesus stood up to read. Do you see that? You see, Jesus stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and then skip to verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, it would be great to preach that message because... (laughs) After he read the scroll from Isaiah, he looked at everybody and said, "Uh, what you just heard, that's me right here. (laughs) It was quite an amazing thing that he did here. But the point is, is Jesus followed this liturgy and he stood up and he read the word of God. And then we jump forward to the early church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. The apostles followed in their master's example. And so the public reading of Scripture was an important element in the early Christian worship services. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul exhorts Timothy, listen, 
Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That's the Old Testament. Because it didn't have the New Testament at this point, so he's referring to the Old Testament in this context. But of course, it includes the New Testament, as I've already told you later from 1 Timothy 5.18 and, and so forth. But the point is, Paul says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And so Paul is clearly teaching that the public reading of Scripture was to have a regular, ongoing place in the worship of God's people. It is not an option. It is a command to be devoted to the reading of Scripture and worship. Then you jump ahead to the second century, and you come to the time of a man called Justin Martyr. He received that last title, Martyr, because he was a martyr. He, he gave his life for the gospel. But we come to the time of Justin in the second century, and what we see from church history is that the role of the lector, or really the reader, was a well-established role in the worship of God's people in the church. And so the lector or reader would regularly get up in worship service and read large chunks of scripture to the assembled gathering of God's people. And what is interesting is that Justin provides one of the earliest descriptions of a worship service in the second century church that is left to us. So what was it like to worship in the second century? Well, Justin tells us. He reports in the second century that the church's worship was characterized by the regular reading of substantial amount of Scripture, large portions of Scripture reading. Listen to what he says. He says, On the day called Sunday, there is a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a given city or rural district, that's the countryside, And he says, when they gather together, the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read, listen, as long as time permits. Now, I know you don't want to hear that here. (laughs) When it's 12 o'clock, oh, time permits, we got to go, right? Who came up with that in our culture that at 12 o'clock, it's like like it's a light switch, the the worship service, oh, it's got to end, it's over, 12 o'clock. As long as time permits, they would read Scripture publicly in the second century. Large portions of Scripture read. Large portions of Scripture read in the apostolic church. Large portions of Scripture read in the exiles returned from Babylonian captivity, established throughout God's people, this priority of reading God's Word. And then we come to the 16th century with the Reformation. In the 16th century, the reformers regained the truth of sola scriptura, scripture alone. And by this Latin slogan, the reformers were saying that over against both the Roman Catholic medieval church and the Anabaptist radicals, enthusiasts, and fanatics is what they labeled them, not Protestant evangelicals. The Bible, they said, is the sole final authority in determining doctrine and life. And that the scriptures are solely sufficient and needs no supplementation. 
But what the reformers recognized is that it was not simply enough to state this doctrine and write it on paper. It needed to be weaved into the life and worship of the church so that God's people would be properly discipled. So one of the applications of Sola Scriptura, this doctrine, was that the primary place was given to the public reading of Scripture and worship. And the systematic public reading of Scripture is an essential Reformation principle to true worship in the church. And let me give you two examples. Martin Luther worked tirelessly for the German people to produce a readable, understandable translation in their own language. Because he wanted to ensure that the Scriptures could be heard and listened to and understood by everyone who gathered to worship. Similarly speaking, the great English reformer Thomas Cranmer, he introduced extended scripture readings into the liturgy and worship of the Reformed Church of England. And one of the brilliant things about Cranmer's liturgical reforms in England in the English Reformation was that he wedded the church's confessional statement to its liturgy, its prayer book, which was unique in the history of the church. And what he intended for the English people to experience was, was that he wanted the Old Testament to be read through once every year in public worship, the whole thing. And he wanted the New Testament to be read through twice in a year. Now, one of the things that struck me when I first visited an Anglican church a couple years back was the substantial amount of scripture that was read in their public worship. Let me, let me tell you what happened when I was there. I was sitting there and I was taken back by it because I heard three chapter, three full whole chapters of the Bible read out loud. Now this morning we read a lot of Psalm 119, which is a long chapter in the Bible. And I know some of you are thinking, wow, this is getting kind of long. I know you thought that, right? <laughs> um, Try three whole chapters. (laughs) Uh, What I heard was one reading from the Old Testament, one reading from the New Testament epistles, and one whole reading from the Gospels. And then the reading was done with this great reverence and intentionality, and I was looking around the, the, the worship center, and the whole congregation was fully dialed in, and when it got to the thanks be to God part, it was like a roar. I was like, wow. You know, I was really taken back by it. And then, not only that, but there was even more scripture given in the service apart from the readings. And so as I sat in the worship service, having been just really impacted by what I experienced, I was immediately confronted with a great irony. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, Here in this high, formal, liturgical, vested worship service, I have just experienced an hour and 15-minute long service in which most of the time was spent occupied with words drawn directly from Scripture the whole time. I heard more of the Bible read, said, sung, and prayed than in any evangelical church I've ever been a part of or served in including the, quote, Bible churches that profess to really take God's word seriously, really believe in Bible exposition, and to place it at the center of his life. 
Now, one may sniff at the high formal liturgical traditions, and one may not like perhaps by just your taste vestments or something, but the fact is many so-called evangelical Bible-believing churches today don't even have scripture readings in their public worship. And the only time you might hear it is when the pastor is reading from the text he's going to preach from. And sometimes the pastor says, oh, we don't have time to read this morning, so let me just get to it. Like, well, we need to hear God's word, right? So how ironic and tragic is it that conservative evangelical Bible churches who claim to confess sola scriptura, the sole authority of scripture, the sufficiency of scripture, to be people of the book, right? We're people of the book. They give little to no time to the public reading of scriptures in their worship services. I found that great irony, and I had to think through that. You see, the public reading of scripture is a high point in the church's worship. It, it is, it's not some tangential thing that we just tack on to do to, to disrupt the flow of the service. It's the high point. It is the high point because in the public reading of God's word, God speaks most directly to his people. It's God speaking. And so the public reading of God's word is central. It is not peripheral. It is a central element to the church's worship. Why do we gather together on the Lord's day? We gather together to be addressed by the triune God. Thanks, John. That's part one of a message called The Gift of the Written Word. More from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.